I tweeted this a while ago, but by the time this is over, I'm going to look like Robin Williams uh, and Jumanji. Uh huh. What year is it? <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Anyways. Anyways, let's get into it. Welcome to episode 344 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, we got this new sidebar thing going on. I'm pretty stoked about it. Yeah, yeah. We got sidebar part two coming up. Before we get into that, we got some shout outs. We have some new very important pixels. Huge thank you to everyone that supported this week. Thanks to Udoka Chima, Achal Srinivasan, Priyanka Kodakal, Sean Kennedy, Lucas Morales, Sam Bazalo. Luciano Infanti and Pavel Fomchenkov. Boy, oh boy. If you just barrel through them fast enough, then you know, nobody can tell you're pronouncing it wrong. I know I nailed all of those, <laughs> 100%. Don't at me. Um, yeah. But seriously, thank you all for supporting. Thank you. A little fun fact, Priyanka in there, she was in my onboarding class at Facebook and is currently a designer at WhatsApp. Oh, nice. So what's up, WhatsApp? If you don't know, we're a listener-supported podcast. For just a dollar a month, you get access to a bonus segment in every episode called The Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. Sidebar. Uh, This is new. It's something that we've started recently doing. And uh, it's it's taking place of having entire bonus episodes. So now every week you get this little bonus segment. And today we're going to be talking about some cool design resources we found including a CSS framework and an interesting little hack for your personal websites. So if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash design details for just a buck a month, get access to this sidebar and all future sidebars going forward. All right, Brian, let's do some follow-up. Yeah, we, we have a lot of, we got a lot of tweets this week, uh, more than normal. We'll, we'll try and cruise through them, but these are all related to previous topics. So technically follow-up. Okay, so... Uh, we have been begging people to share their early shameful work with us. And uh-huh. last week we only got one person. But I was so disappointed, Brian. But now, now I'm so proud. Yeah, it's turning around. Uh, so five of y'all tweeted at us with some of your early shameful work. So brave. So we heard from Patrick Marks, who is uh, sharing stuff that he worked on in 2014, which isn't that long ago, but it sounds like Patrick said he's relatively new to design. So this is cool. Like we're looking at, Just some screenshots of basically like screenshots, screenshots of screenshots of a website that Patrick worked on. Uh, We heard from Katerina Blind, a.k.a. Scarlett Johansson, uh, who says, this is the first ever ever digital design I did when I was 15. Uh, It was supposed to be something like a private Uber to request a ride from my brother, which is (laughs) an awesome awesome idea. It's just a screenshot of an app that has a button that says, pick me up. (laughs) (laughs) And then... Uh, a dialogue that says, Michael is ready to pick you up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Intra-family software design. I love that. Yeah, very niche. All right, we also heard from Zane Koja, who shared a link to his first medium case study on a project called Artwork, which was a marketplace for artists. Uh, so we got, we'll have a link to that in the show notes, but you can see some early uh, like case study, like writing, not just screenshots, but writing. So this is nice. Thanks for sharing, Zane. Yeah. We also heard from Keaton Taylor, longtime fan of the pod, who shared a link, like an actual link to a thing that he designed. <laughs> uh, you 
letteryoufixit.com. Brian, can I share a short anecdote? Yeah. I was on my phone. I went on Twitter. I saw this tweet. I tapped on it. I was distracted by something else. And, and I looked away from my phone. And once I dealt with that other thing, I looked back at my phone and forgot what I had tapped on and thought that I must have accidentally tapped on an ad or some shitty like thing. And like somebody had sent me a broken link and I was like, what the fuck is this? And I swiped back. And then I realized like, oh yeah, that was that thing that Keaton sent. Oh no. <laughs> um, and it reminded me of some early work that I did that I, I don't think exists anymore, but was like similarly bad. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yep. This is an interesting one because it's still a real website. Um, so first of all, yeah. Keaton, Keaton self-acknowledged that this is bad. I still don't think it's as bad as the shit that I was working on. No. But there's some very interesting design decisions on this little website, uh-huh. which we'll have a link in the show notes for people who want to poke around. I specifically love that there's like these four action buttons. One is give us feedback. Two is ask an expert. Three is shipping information. Four is view cart. And one of them is just red. <laughs> like just inexplicably asking an expert is a red button and all the others are blue. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. But different, do it, different blues. Yeah. And all the blues are different. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Uh, I love so it. good. So good. Good job, Keaton. I appreciate that. That's, that was very brave of you. Well done. Thank you for sharing your shame. One last one. Uh, we also heard from Lucas Morales, who is uh, one of our new very important pixels this week. Yeah. Lucas said, one of the first websites I designed a decade ago is somehow still active. There's been a little bit of work by someone else, but it's mostly my great design. And uh, we got another live link here. Let's just say this. You go to a page that then says, click here to enter, if that kind of puts you in a certain time range of websites. Oh, wow. Oh, man, I remember doing this. Oh, yeah, like a, a splash page, like yeah. a pre-website website. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't let just don't just let people into your site. Make sure that you narrow that funnel immediately. Yeah, yeah. They they have to opt in to read your shit. I love oh, it. Oh god. Yep. Oh boy. Link in the show notes. Yeah. You know different levels of 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 badness here, but like oh, this is all wonderful. I love it. Yeah. It's just a little time machine. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, that's early work. Uh, keep those links coming if you want to share your early shameful portfolio work with us. Please tweet at us. We would love to see it. All right, we also got a little bit of uh, follow-up on last week's episode about over- and undervalued design skills. Uh, We heard from Kevin Bennett, who said, couldn't agree more with overvaluing paper prototypes, hugely valuable, but in the right place and on the right project. So what do you think? Right time and place for paper prototypes, and it just is overused? Yeah, I would would agree with that exactly. Yeah, I I think, you know, there's a time and place for everything, it's a very narrow window for that in a, a very small location <laughs> yeah. for that time and place for paper prototypes. But yeah, there's a, you know. Yeah. All right. We also, uh, Keaton hit us up about this as well. Hi, Keaton Taylor again. Uh, says, I'm finding myself nodding vigorously at everything Brian Levin is saying about the overvalue of originality and pixel perfection. I probably looked like I was really digging some music, probably Tycho because designers. <laughs> well, so here's what I'm wondering. I wonder if the omission of your handle here means that he didn't agree with what you said. I took it personally that way. <laughs> I want to start some drama here, Marshall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I took I took personal offense to it. 
Um, I wasn't going to mention it, but now that you bring it up, yes, that's exactly how I took it. Deeply offensive. Mm-hmm. O- offense by omission. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's how I live my life, right? Yeah. I must be mentioned at all times. Otherwise, I assume you hate me. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh, man. Anyways, thanks for the tweets, everybody, and for the follow-up. And okay, we are deep into this episode, so let's get into some main topic. This week, we have a listener question. This week, Carl says, sometimes, and we've all been there, you know what you're doing is right. Let's say you're fighting for a darker blue to pass accessibility requirements or visualizing data in a simplified graphic rather than a complex multi-dimensional graph to appeal to a wider audience. You've presented this with justification and examples or clear guideline recommendations, but it's ignored. So question, how do you guys generally know when to back down and stop fighting for what you know to be right based on your design experience and bow to the product manager slash owner's opinion, even if it's not steeped in fact. Ooh. When do you give up, Marshall? Spicy. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, maybe you can talk about this, but this reminds me of your sliding scale of giving a fuck that you've mentioned before. Yeah, this was the first thing that came to mind. Cap Watkins has a great article. We'll have a link to it in the show notes, but uh, he wrote this article called The Sliding Scale of Giving a Fuck. And each thing that you are doing or working on, you have to ask yourself how much you really care. Mm -hmm. Like there are only so many hills to die on. Some (laughs) hills are bigger than others. Some are more valuable than others. And you got to pick and choose. Otherwise, you're going to exhaust yourself and you're going to exhaust everyone around you and reduce the credibility of any individual hill that you want to die on. So I think you got to be selective here is where I'd start. And that selectiveness could probably be informed by some metrics or some sort of framework you have for what you deem to be important. But ultimately, I think you should ask yourself if you are losing these fights, like how much do you really give shit? Is it worth your energy to fight for these things? And as I say this out loud, like it sounds defeatist. Like Mm -hmm. I think every designer sort of aspires to like, be the champion for the user to fight when nobody else will fight to like put in the extra effort so that we ship more accessible things, more usable things. So I don't know. How how does that vibe with you, Marshall? Like, are we perpetuating laziness or defeatism to say maybe some things just aren't worth giving a shit about? No, I, uh, well, (laughs) I don't think so. At least I (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) I think it's realistic. It's also, it sounds defeatist for sure, but I think it's realistic in that you can't win every battle and you shouldn't fight every potential fight, right? Like you got to let some things go. Some things are easy to let go. Other things are harder to let go. Of those things that are hard to let go, you have to ask yourself the question of like, is this a hill worth dying on? If it is, then there are several things you can do. One is uh, appeal to reason and potentially use the Socratic method to convince the other person through questions that you're correct. If they are stubborn and refuse to listen to your obvious wisdom, then um, I think there's always the option. This is kind of like the nuclear option a little bit, even though it's really not super destructive. But like, if if you really truly feel strongly like this thing needs to happen and we're going to make a big mistake if if this thing doesn't happen for whatever reason, maybe Brian, you can talk about uh, mistake levels, but you can always just employ the chain of command. And I've talked about this a lot before, but 
chain of command is there for a fucking reason. It's so that you can escalate things that are above your pay grade or you don't have the power to answer. And this is a perfect thing to talk about with uh, a manager in a one-on-one, right? Like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of running this problem. I really think it should be this way. And here's the reasons why I think it should be this way. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. What do you think? Right? And if your manager says, no, actually, you're crazy because here's some stuff that you didn't know <laughs> uh-huh. or you're just wrong. Like, here's here's some other reasons why we, you know, this is the wrong thing. Then you have, like, a definitive answer and you've been told by your boss, which is, like, far more impactful for you than, like, the PM or whoever owns this project telling you that you're wrong, right? Right. But your manager might also say that you're right. And if your manager says that you're right, then they can take it upon themselves to uh, hit up the PM's manager and and have the fight happen at that level. At that point, you can wipe your hands of it. You say, I've done everything that I can do. My manager agrees with me, and they have more power than I do. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen there. And potentially, they escalate it to their manager, depending on how important this thing is. But like, that's kind of the nuclear option is like, I would never go above the other person's head to their boss, like directly to that PM's boss and be like, I disagree with what your director report says. That's shitty. Don't do that. But go to your direct manager and have them go across the way to the to the cross functional partner, right? Yeah. At their level, and that's where that fight can happen. So, like, I don't know. I, that would be my last resort. We kind of jump to last resorts pretty quick. <laughs> now we can wind our way back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Step but, back from the ledge a minute. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the things that I mentioned was depending on the severity of the outcome. Brian, do you want to talk about how? That can change things. Yeah, I, this maybe goes a little bit hand in hand with your position on the scale of giving a fuck, but like figuring out where this decision resides on the scale of potential consequence for either yourself, for the business, for the user. Like if this decision is wrong, if the difference of opinion results in an ethical or moral violation Mm -hmm. if the decision is wrong and would cost the business money, if it would cost the business reputation and invoke negative PR, like these are considerations. So as you're talking about like, should a button be nudged this way or that way? Maybe not high impact. Should the button say this thing or that thing? Then you start to get to like, okay, maybe this is more high impact. Like it matters what this thing says. And I don't know, like one one framing here is imagine a New York Times article comes out that says your company is doing this thing. How bad would it be for you to see that headline and have your name associated with that headline? If it's this business subverts the privacy of all of its users because of a difference of opinion between a PM and a designer, it's like, oh shit, yeah, you should probably fight for that. Mm -hmm. But if the New York Times headline is like this company has a misaligned button. Like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody would give a shit, right? Exactly. So you could use that as like maybe a, a, a mental gauge. But even as we're talking about like opinions, another thing came to mind, which is how do you move you and your PM or whoever the product owner is out of opinion land at all? Like mm-hmm. opinion land is hell because everyone has one. They are strongly held, hard to disprove. So move out of opinion land by either getting metrics to back up your decision, having a user interview to back up your decision. Ideally, you have like a user getting stuck or confused and you have a video or a quote or an audio transcription of the person getting stuck doing the thing that you're fighting to fix. 
that is like the ultimate ammunition to change minds, right? Like, cool, I'm glad you have that opinion, but listen to how users are going to react to it. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you've escalated the quality of the debate by doing that. Yeah, I, I feel like opinions should only be the crux of how a decision is made if you don't have good data. Yeah. Like, uh, operating off of opinions is just an admission that you don't have enough information to make an informed decision. Because at that point, it's not an opinion anymore. It's an informed decision, right? Right, right. Yeah. There's a couple of things that came to mind as well. Like I could imagine as we build products, we accumulate this ever-growing list of small things that could be better but aren't necessarily high priority to fix. And I think if you find yourself dying on a hill for each of those small things, you will exhaust yourself, you'll exhaust the team. And one way around that is to organize them into a backlog, create a little list for yourself, file a GitHub issue, whatever your preferred documentation system of choice is, just build up a list. And what you could do is get to the point where in you know a couple months, you have a dedicated day of accessibility bug bashing. And then you get buy-in from people on the team that like, hey, we're going to dedicate this one period of time to knock out 20 things instead of distributing all that decision-making and conflict over the course of eight weeks every single day, right? Build up an arsenal of small things that you believe should be fixed that could be fixed in a time box. And then the last thing that came to mind for me was, is it possible that your opinion is correct and your decision would be justified, but it's not the right time or it's not the right place? Like, is it possible that you are fighting for things when there are much bigger battles getting fought all around you. So for example, let's say you are fighting for some color value. One is higher contrast and more accessible, and and it's a good thing. You should fight for that kind of thing. But let's suppose that you're operating at a startup that is running low on cash and has no customers because everybody who signs up churns. I think you got to pick your battles, right? (laughs) And this is a pretty flimsy argument. Like I'm picking the most extreme things, but... I think within that, you have this gradient of like, how important is this decision to the feature, to the project, to the team, and then to the business? And it's possible that the people who's a, who are disagreeing with your opinion are coming at the disagreement from an entirely different angle. Like they see a bigger frame of the battle being fought to build a sustainable business or build a successful product. And this one thing that you're fighting for is... Sure, it's important, but maybe ultimately a distraction right now. I think just figuring out your place in the room like, is a useful exercise anyways, mm-hmm. but might change the way you have these debates with other people whose opinions you disagree with or when you bring it up or how strongly you fight for it. Totally. Seem reasonable to you, Marshall? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It depends, Brian. Yeah, it depends. <laughs> I feel like the closest we came to the answer here is just moving out of opinion land as quickly as possible. That that feels like the most actionable thing here for Carl. Mm-hmm. It's kind of gross. I think people don't like this, but there is such a thing as political capital. Yeah. And there's there's a time to expend that and a time to build it up. And so you could consider this world where some things you don't fight for, but you're kind of building up 
this political capital to fight for one thing in the future really strongly mm-hmm. and have a little bit more chance of that swaying people's minds. So yeah, I was hesitant to bring this up, but yeah, I, I, I totally agree that the outcomes of disagreements is a form of currency. Yeah. So whether you win or lose, it, it adds or removes from your purse, as it were, right? Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully that was helpful, Carl. Let us know if we missed anything or misinterpreted this. And then listeners, if if you have other strategies that you've come up with that you found successful for you know figuring out when a fight is worth fighting, just tweet at us. We'd love to hear. Yeah, share us some sweet, sweet strats. All right. Let's get into cool things, Marshall. So mine's a little weird this week. Um, the times we're living in, Brian. Um, <laughs> I'm stuck at home. I've been stuck at home for a long time. And I... Oh, God, it's kind of embarrassing to admit, but I, I've smoked a Juul for, for basically as long as Juul has been around. I smoked cigarettes for, for years and years before that. And uh, I was happy to quit smoking actual cigarettes and move to like an e-cig with Juul. And then it kind of became a meme and a joke. And I was like, oh, but this is the one that actually worked for me. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so I was always a little bit embarrassed about it. But a few months ago, I think at the beginning of the year, San Francisco passed a law that says... Jewel can't be sold within the city limits, right? So I wasn't able to get my pods sent directly to the house anymore. And then we got quarantined. And then uh-huh. I couldn't. And so like before everything went down, I kind of got an idea that like this was going to happen. I bought a bunch. I bought like four boxes of them. And that has lasted me uh, about a month and a half. And I knew that this is a finite resource that, that would end. And so all that to say as a forcing function, this quarantine has been good because I'm I'm trying to quit smoking. So I think it's kind of a cool thing. And, and I think that I'm not alone in this, that people are using these shitty circumstances as a way to force themselves to make life improvements, right? So this is kind of my way of like uh, trying to make myself a better person through quarantine is I'm weaning myself off of nicotine. Yeah, I, I think that's great, man. It, it reminds me a little bit different, but same concept is I snack like a motherfucker. Mm. Like I can't be at your house because you have so many snacks, but you have self-control with snacks. I yeah. do not. Gotcha. And so the solution for me, like the forcing function to get myself off that track was to just not buy snacks. Like my mm-hmm. problem is if it's in the house, I eat it. If it's there, it will be consumed. It's like this <laughs> one-to-one relationship. I don't have the capacity to just let it like not be eaten. <laughs> yeah. Which sounds so obvious. But anyways, like don't go to the grocery store when you're hungry and you don't end up buying as many snacks. And if there's no snacks in the home, then you don't eat stuff. Like mm-hmm. pretty straightforward. And here you are, like, you don't have them in the house, you're gonna run out. Like you've figured out uh, a a strategy to start to sort of taper off and then mm-hmm. yeah i'll be curious what you end up doing when the quarantine lifts like what your first purchase will be uh well i i, I mean i've wanted to quit kind of yeah. but like not a ton right yeah. like not enough to actually do it but now it's like okay i i don't have a choice so i'm on my last pod i'm on my last cartridge so i'm hoping that doling these out so infrequently will last me through the rest of this pod and by the time i'm it's done or by the time I'm not addicted anymore, the pot will be gone and then like clean break. Right. But I'm, uh, this is a lot better than doing it cold Turkey. I think cause I've done it cold Turkey before and that I'm a miserable fuck, Brian, uh-huh. <laughs> not yeah. fun to be around and I'm stuck yeah. in a house with a woman I love bad idea. So <laughs> what's your cool thing, Brian? 
All right. Netflix is making movies now, right? And one of the new ones that came out on Friday is called Extraction. And it's with Chris Hemsworth. And it's an action movie. And it's, I I guess, rated R. I mean, it's super, super fucking gory. (laughs) Uh, Not gory. It's violent. I feel like I heard about this. I heard the name. I had no idea what it was. Somebody mentioned it and I was like, uh, the theaters aren't open. How are you seeing new movies? Okay, cool. Continue. So here's what I'd say. The movie is fine. It's okay. Uh, the action sequences are good. It really brought home how transformative the John Wick series has been hmm. in creating action sequences. Like if you watch this movie, Marshall, mm-hmm. as you watch the fight scenes, you'll be like, oh, that's John Wick. Oh, that's a John Wick move. Oh, that's John Wick. I see that as a very good thing. It's good. Like the action's cool. Movie overall, it's okay. But anyways, the one thing I wanted to call out is there is a 12-minute sequence that, I don't know, maybe a minute into it, I like had to pause the movie. I was watching it with Effie. I paused it. I'm like, did you see what the fuck just happened? And basically, it was at the beginning of a 12-minute single-cut action sequence. Wow. And single-cut is in air quotes because... They do some movie magic. You can see they they motion blur some shit. And like you can tell, oh, that's when it transitioned. But even then, it still feels pretty smooth. Mm-hmm. But there's this moment where they're in a car chase and the camera is behind the car. The car has to stop for some reason. So the camera pulls up next to the driver's side window. Mm-hmm. And it's like looking in into the window inside the car. You see some action happen inside the car. Mm-hmm. Then the car backs up and as it's backing up, it feels like the the window is going to hit the camera, but the camera goes into the car and then the car starts driving and now the camera's inside the car. Mm. And then you get the next sequence where it's inside the car. And anyways, the whole action sequence, it goes through a, a, a car chase scene, a car crash scene, an in-person fight scene in a building. Then they go outside the building again. And like the camera is moving in really fucking weird ways which I thought was cool. Like, it's worth watching just to see that. But once you notice how weird the camera movement is, it became incredibly distracting. Like, we kept having to pause the movie and be like, how the fuck did the camera do that? Like, what kind of rig could it possibly be on where it didn't get obstructed by this thing that was right next to it or by the people moving around it? Like, really weird shit. But the end result was interesting i guess anyways that's my cool thing is this like 12 minute sequence in uh extraction awesome yeah this takes you out of it because you're like wait a minute how do you get the camera to go through there like yeah. it's all added in the cg but your brain is thinking about that stuff instead of thinking like oh cool yeah i think a really good example of one of these type of shots is in the movie contact there's a sequence where at the beginning of the movie, the, the dad collapses and the daughter is running upstairs to get his medicine out of the medicine cabinet. And it follows her up the stairs, um, going backwards with her in front running out. And then at some point, you realize that it comes out of the mirror like the whole thing was a reflection. Oh, and she wow. reaches. It's mm. like, that's yeah. the kind of thing where it's like, oh, wow, cool. But then the shot is over, right? And you're not thinking about that as it continues. The problem is when this happens in the middle of a sequence and you're missing things because you're thinking about that stuff that happened before. Anyways. Yes, which clearly happened here because we ha- kept pausing and rewinding. We're like, no way that was a single shot. And then then you start to know, then you're looking for the the cuts, right? You're like, yeah. there's no way this is a single take. So now I'm going to focus especially on when they blur mm-hmm. between cuts and like try and identify those moments. Uh, this Have you seen 1917 yet? 
No, I haven't watched it yet. Kind of one of the selling points of it is that it's a single shot all the way through. Really good shit. You should watch that movie. Okay, cool. Cool thing, man. Uh, Yeah, it's fine. It's a a good quarantine movie if you want like a John Wick action-y kind of thing. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, this has been episode 344. We hope you all enjoyed listening. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter at DesignDetailsFM. If you missed the sidebar segment, you can subscribe to our Patreon. You'll get access to that bonus part of the show uh, on this episode and every future episode. So go to patreon.com slash design details for just a buck a month. Get access to full episodes. If you need more podcasts, go to spec.fm. That's our podcast network for designers and developers just just like like you. Otherwise, uh, you know, ask us questions. Open an issue on our repo at github.com slash spec.fm. You'll find the design details repo and issues there. Uh, Otherwise, you know, tweet at us. Hit us up. We like talking to you and hearing what's on your mind. And with that in mind, uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Ooh, high pitched. High pitched, kind of. Can you go higher? Bye. <laughs> it's an no. octave. I just did an octave there. Can you go higher? No, that's about the limit. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit? I can't. Yeah, you do it. No, I can't do it. You're good. <laughs> oh, you fucking <laughs> asshole. All right. Later.